Hello, everyone. Welcome to Bunker Mania Wrestling. I am Jeremy Graves. I am joined by the Decadane, Mr. Ian Bolton. And today, a bit of a different podcast than we normally do. A bit of an experiment, some might say. Because this past weekend, as we are recording this on Tuesday, the 5th of September, for a point of reference, it was a double pay-per-view weekend. It's a rare treat quote-unquote, air quotes, in the world of wrestling, because it was WWE Payback and AEW All Out. And quite frankly, and cards on the table, folks, rather than both of us having to watch both shows, we decided let's try something a bit different, as you may have heard on our emergency CM Punk live stream from a few days ago at the time we're recording this. So Ian has seen Payback. I have seen All Out. And we're both going to sort of do, as Ian has so eloquently put it, a little bit of show and tell, as it were, to talk about each shows respectively. If you are a first-time watcher and or listener, thank you so much for giving the show a chance. We hope you enjoy it. If you're checking us out on YouTube, first of all, hey, how's it going? If you enjoy the show, why not hit that like button, hit subscribe if you feel so inclined, and tell us in the comments below what you thought of either one or both of the shows we will be discussing. If you're in the audio-only realm on your podcast provider of choice, we hope you enjoy the show, and if you do, why not tell a friend? We'd really appreciate it. Good sir! Welcome to the week. The first question, did you survive the payback? I, I think I comfortably survived the payback. It was just a, it was, it was a show. It, it was a show that happened. Obviously, that, that immediately sounds like it's bad. It's actually not, it wasn't a bad show. I thought it was, I think it was quite good with a few standout shows. But um, essentially, it is just good TV, WWE wrestling, or WWE TV wrestling, rather than like premium live event wrestling. Uh, so we will... We will uh, jump into that very soon, but I'm also very warm. It is, yeah, yes. <laughs> and if you're if you're watching from outside the UK, as it were, little disclaimer: we, we can't handle the heat, us Brits. And quite frankly, at the moment, there is a heat wave, so it is ultra ultra warm in both of our respective studios. So the, the best way to describe it is: we can't handle it when it's too hot, and we can't handle it when it's too cold. We want our weather to be tepid at all times. Slightly warm, but not too warm. And cold, but not too cold. We need it to be gloriously tepid. Tepid. Tepid's what I say. <laughs> I don't know how to follow on from that, I'll be honest. So, I guess... It's okay. Let's start off with payback then, I guess. But the, I'll give you a question to sort of lead into the discussion on it because we talked about the show going into it a few days ahead of time and we sort of previewed the card and whatnot. And we both came to the conclusion this very much felt like quite bluntly, at best, a B-tier level show. It didn't feel like it was going to be special. There were a lot of big names missing and whatnot. So ultimately, if you had to kind of give it a grade, as it were, based on how we thought it was going in, what level would you give it? I'd say... Uh, hmm. I'd say either a solid B or a very high B-. minus. Ooh. And that's mostly because I think some of these matches on the card... Are good, but it's like they're not. I think from a storyline perspective, it hasn't been engaging. Not really being. It's not. It's kind of something you really. I think you wouldn't. You just wouldn't care about. It's like it's another another good old catchphrase of mine. I just don't care about one or two of these matches. <laughs> guess guess which one I really don't care about as we go through the go through the uh, the play by play. Um, but no, I think there are there are at least two very very good matches on this card which are worth checking out at least just just i think they're just they're the big high points there's some there's some story developments here and there but ultimately it was a show that didn't change any of the status quo 
with the exception of maybe one of the matches which we'll talk about no other belts with uh, no no major well major belt did change hands but nothing else majorly happened to be perfectly honest just, it, it is a show that just basically just kind of pushed some storylines along trying to finish up some storylines and was just there for just there for the fun of it so the analogy I'm going to make then, and we'll see how well this, this goes over as I'm saying this out loud, is this the equivalent of like an anime filler episode where right at the end, there's a little bit of canon storyline that's really important, but the majority otherwise, you could have basically just skipped until like the last couple of minutes. It's that and any sort of loop in the third movie. Because <laughs> basically something massive will happen and everyone's a bit everyone's a bit shook up by it. But then by the end of it, everything goes back to normal and we all carry on. Like none of it ever restored. happened. Yeah. We just we basically none of this ever happened. <laughs> and until the next movie when they reference something else in that. <laughs> Pretty much, yes. It's like, oh, remember me from this from this looping looping story? It's like, I don't know bloody no <laughs> stop making too many lupin specials lupin as in the anime not the netflix show which you know what okay we can talk about lupin the third all day and quite frankly the fact we've talked about lupin the third that much already probably implies how good of a show this actually was so in the interest of of retaining in the interest of retaining people wanting to know what you thought of it ian Let's get into the show. How did the show actually begin? What was the first match? Opening match was a big one. It was the steel cage match between Becky Lynch and Trish Stratus. Uh, this is a feud that has been going on for a couple of months. We talked about this in the in the last episode. It's been going on for a while. Possibly should have had a blow-off match at SummerSlam. Didn't happen. We had lemons and lemonades after that, which was interesting to say the least. But we but it all came to a head in this steel cage match to open up payback. And it's it's other than the tag team street fight, this is probably one of the best matches on the card. And actually, probably one of the best women's matches of the year for WWE as awesome. well. Because it's just like, it, the fact. The first thing is, let's talk about Trish Stratus. Trish Stratus, Hall of Famer, was wrestling nearly 20 years ago and is wrestling now. And it's like, she's only only got better. And it's like, it's just, it's wonderful to see. And, I, and I've talked about that before. But no, this was a good sort of, back and forth final battle between the current generation with Becky and obviously the past generation with Trish, because obviously Trish has been going off on that. Thank you, Trish uh, character heel uh, uh, persona for a while. And yeah, this, this was, this was a good back and forth using the cage where they can being thrown into it. There were some good sort of nods to WWE's past. Um, for example, Trish hit a widow's peak on Becky. To nice, bit, on nice Victoria reference there. Yep, and Becky hit a twist of fate. And that all points to the fact that Victoria and Lita were the first women in WWE to have a steel cage match as well. So it's like a little nod of history there as well. Um, some really big moments. There's there was the there was a big superplex off the the near top of the cage because there was a there was a precarious moment where both Becky well, Trish was trying to escape over the top of the cage, Becky chased, Becky stops, and for a little bit. Trish was dangling. Her legs were caught up in like the top, like the top, like rungs of the cage, and using like it's kind of like just dangling off. So it's like if you're about to sort of do like an as like a, a hanging like crunch or something like that. Literally just hanging off the side of the cage. It's like, oh, I hope those legs don't get loose because that will not end well. Um, so it's a bit curious moments, but that all kind of changes a little bit where Becky kind of slowly pulls Trish back in, and then you just have one hell of a superplex, like 
in between top of the cage and the top rope. And it's like, it was really cool, but it's like also very painful as well. Um, I think Becky, uh, I think Trish also actually got a bit of a war wound from, from that as well. She had a little bit of a welt early on, which kind of, I think if you find on, on Twitter, she's it actually kind of uh, flourished into a full blown like bruise as well. So it's like, yeah, really, really went for it in there as well. But um, obviously in, in good old fashioned, in good old fashioned WWE storytelling, Jeremy, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. what do you think a steel cage is supposed to do in, keep in a match? People out. Well, it didn't keep people out like Zoe Stark. Ah, oh, shucks. Because <laughs> ah, oh, shucks. Because towards the end of the match, Zoe Stark manages to force her way into the cage, tries to stop Becky after she had the match almost won, uh, got a manhandle slam for her troubles, and then Becky delivered a super manhandle slam on the second rope for, for Trish to get the win one, two, three. Really, really good match. Um, Becky, I think, is about to move off possibly to an NXT program with Tiffany Stratton because there was a strange little uh, bit okay. backstage, which we'll talk about later on. Um, but basically, Trish was annoyed at the end. She pushed Zoe Stark away, got annoyed, and Zoe did her finisher. I can't pronounce, I can't pronounce it, like, but it's the, the, 360, the 360 knee smack or the face-to-knee, or knee-to-face, whatever you call it. Um, so yeah, Zoe attacked Trish and removed the Thank You Trish t-shirt. So she's off on a lonesome again. So, so technically, this this feels like the definitive end of a feud for now. Who knows? Trish might come back down the line, have a couple more matches with someone else. But, but as this sort of story for Becky, it is done. It's done and dusted. So, yeah, I think that was a really good opening match. And then, for some reason, John Cena came out to welcome people to payback, despite the fact it had already been on for about thirty minutes. <laughs> John Cena. I mean, look, John Cena does what John Cena's got to do, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, with with Screen Actors Guild strikes going on, John Cena needs something to do, and he's been able to come back to WWE while while the Screen Actors Guild wait to rightfully get money back, money for their for their hard work and all that sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, John Cena came out to welcome people to payback, and he and he kind of went, "I want to be the best host that I can possibly be." for a wrestling show. So I've decided to insert myself into a match as the special guest referee. <laughs> and that match is for the Miz versus LA Knight. Miz came out, already for the fight, clearly not happy with this idea. And we had this we had this very silly promo going back and forth, where basically it's like John Cena is going, I'm going to referee. And, and Miz is going, you're not dressed for being a referee. You're not, that's not what a host does. And then, John Cena gets handed a referee shirt and goes, oh, I've got the uniform for a referee. I could be a referee now. <laughs> it's it's very weird. It's very old school Ms. John Cena promo. It was like, half it was funny and then half it was like, oh dear, what are we doing? I don't know. But this, this obviously use John Cena as you can, pretty much. Uh, Ellie Knight comes out and they, and they have a very straightforward match. And Cena, despite the fact he's inserted himself as a special guest referee, he calls it fairly down the middle, to be perfectly honest. There are, there are times where in the match he tries to enforce rules. So when you're coming up to oh, like... No. Oh, when no. You're, oh, no. Not the rules. It's like when you're coming up like to, to the five count, he was pulling away Miz for a moment, and then he pulled away LA Knight as well, and both of them are not enjoying Cena's involvement for a bit. Um, towards the end, there's also some moments of near-hitting Cena. So it's like the Miz almost hit Cena one time. So it's like, it's like quick succession. Miz is about to do a blow. LA Knight misses and he almost hits Cena. And then LA Knight tries to hit Miz and he almost hits Cena. And it's like, oh, this, this is getting awkward. This is getting awkward very quickly. But um, no, it was a, it was a fairly, 
fairly even back and forth sort of thing because you kind of think if this was an LA Knight squash match, it would be over and done with very quickly. But no, it was a, it was a fairly decent back and forth. I think about 15, 15 or so minutes. Um, and yeah, LA Knight wins with uh, BFT, Blunt Force Trauma. And yeah, basically he gets the endorsement of John Cena on the ramp in a handshake. But uh, the, the nice touch as well is basically Knight doesn't immediately shake the hand because he's obviously, he's a little bit egotistical megastar, LA Knight, kind of going, well, it's like, this is this is my show. It's like, I just like, oh, you almost maybe didn't win. But ultimately he, do, he does shake John Cena's hand and all that sort of stuff. So it's like, okay, you're friends, but not chummy, chummy friends. Or they, they respect each other, but not chummy, chummy friends. Um, and yeah, that was it. I mean, moving on onto Raw last night, The Miz decided to carry on I think, I don't know if this feud is continuing because Miz cut another promo on early night, but also decided to fight John Cena himself. Though John Cena was very invisible and no one could see him. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, so Miz had Miz TV with special guest John Cena. Whole John Cena Triantron played. And there's no John Cena, but the camera movements completely follow what John Cena would usually do at the start of entering a match as well. Um, so oh, I'm trying to press this. What the hell you're the, saying? The, be um, the best way. Do you know what, do you know that time Clint Eastwood got angry at a chair at a political rally? Sure. You know? Yeah. So basically Clint Eastwood, I think he was having a, like a, I think he was having, he was doing like a, he was trying to demonstrate how bad say Barack Obama would be for like politics. So basically he just, he, he just, Clint Eastwood came on stage and decided to talk to an invisible chair thinking he was talking to Barack Obama. Just kind of going, hey, you, no. And that's the way. But in Clint Eastwood way, I can't do a Clint Eastwood accent for the life of me. And I think The Miz did the, the, the complete wrestling equivalent of that. Basically, it's visible John Cena came out and he went, hey, John, I still don't like you for ruining the match. Boo. And then had a fake fight with nothing. With a phantom John Cena. With a phantom John Cena. Despite the fact you can play as phantom John Cena in WWE 2K23. Well, 22, actually. Is it 22 or 23? 23. It's 23, isn't it? That's the latest game. I, I, it, the latest game. The latest game. There no, it's go. not that. I'm just, I'm just trying to process everything you're saying. <laughs> like, just... <laughs> continue. Let's move on. <laughs> that, that was a thing. It happened. And I, I, and we'll see how we all progress from that when SmackDown happens on Friday. Uh, then we move on to to uh, Rey Mysterio beating Austin Fury, and that was that. Good, and that was that. <laughs> but don't think, don't worry, folks. This match was sponsored by Cinnamon. <laughs> I can't pronounce it for the life of me. Cinnamon Toast Crunch or Crunch Toast? You what, know what, that. What, hang on, the cereal. Yes, again from WrestleMania. Uh, this was their sponsored match. Yes. Pretty much. Okay. Thankfully, no no mascot doing a dance. That's all fine. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very quick on this one. Um, yeah, this was a match. <laughs> it was a generic TV match. Had a back and forth. Mysterio and Fury do have really good chemistry as well. I, I will say that now. They have really good chemistry. It was, it was a match. It was a TV match. But there was nothing else to this, and Rey Mysterio eventually won by reversing the A-Town down into a roll-up. And then the LWO came out, they all celebrated, and we all moved on with our lives. So we're not going to get a tag team called Mysterio in theory? No, I don't think okay. so, no. But the, the weird thing, the one thing, I, I don't know if this has been, this has been a recent development for Austin Fury's entrance, but 
they kind of do, you know, like the guns do in AEW, where they now do the, like, the close-up on the ramp and the slow like 360 mm-hmm. before. They kind of do that with Austin Theory now. So basically he comes he's basically he comes out normally to the ramp to the to the to like the, the entrance where the ramp. And then I basically down. Oh, I come down to bed. <laughs> uh, that's definitely not the theme. <laughs> <laughs> so so basically camera comes up and then Austin Fury just turns his back to the audience as the camera falls out. Lights go down, spotlight as he does his hey, turn down, and then does a little point to the sky. So basically, so basically, he's got Finn Balor's entrance because Balor is now heel, even though Theory no, is also heel. I still kind of think it's like the gun's entrance, but basically he just sort of just goes, meh, just like points points to the sky. You've got an audible gun going off, of, and then lights come up and off he goes. And sounds like a Chicago gangster in a children's cartoon. Hey, she! Hey, she! Hey, tone down, you know? Oh, God. This was a match. Let's move on. Out of uh, interest, us talking about his entrance, was it longer than the match itself? The match was, the match was about 10, 10, 12 minutes. Oh, flipping heck, was it? All right. So, so it, I mean, <laughs> all these matches had, all these matches actually had a decent amount of chunk of time for them. So it's like, it's like a good old fashioned NXT style take, uh, takeover pay-per-view. The matches, whether or not they're, they're viable as a story at the moment, they still have a nice little chunk of time. So it's like, hmm. and I think... And I think after the cage match and LA night, you kind of need a cool down before the following match, which was the, the Pittsburgh street fight, which judgment day claimed the tag team belts from KO and Sami Zayn. The best way to describe this match is it's utter madness from the get go. <laughs> it is basically, it was anything goes weapons galore KO came out wearing a Terry Funk t-shirt as well. He had it under his Amazing. KO stripe. And you, you have your initial start spots. You have your candlesticks. You have your bins. I think there was a great bit where I think they actually put the bin on top of Finn Balor and they just hit him with candlesticks for a little bit, which was quite fun. But ultimately, it starts to become more of a handicap match because after like the first five or so minutes, they start going out into the audience and dirty Dominic Mysterio turns up to attack them, to kind of get the kind of type, to kind of get the kind of get the advantage and, and it's an advantage and they have an advantage and they just decide to stand there looking away from Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, who they've just dumped over a barricade near the tech desk. They turn around, they kind of bask in the fact that they're evil and they're just kind of going, right, this is the plan. We're going to take them back to the ring. We're going to beat them up some more and then we're going to get a pin. We turn back and for some magical reason and by pure magic as well, uh, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn have, have changed into ice hockey attire. Um, so is, the, their is their equivalent of Super Saiyan level two? It pretty much, yes. Um, I think for the for the pit, for the the local Pittsburgh ice hockey team, I don't know the name of my heart. Uh, but they the were Pittsburgh Penguins, I believe it is. Yeah, so they were in their in their uniforms. Ko was busted open at some point before then because basically the camera pans around, his face is completely red with blood, <laughs> and the match and the and the brawl continues. This time with hockey sticks as well delightful fun um but eventually the uh, the ice hockey i think sammy Zayn loses his ice hockey outfit but kevin owens still keeps the top how, how on. careless how careless <laughs> oh no oh dear um and it gets even wilder from there because to take out dominic for a bit ko puts him on a table in, in the outside audience area climbs up onto an audience gangway you know as you're going into a stadium you've got that big sort of stadium like uh tunnel passageway mm-hmm. just as a senton off it for a table Casual. Just, 
yeah. casual, just casual. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> typical Kevin Owens, um, which which is amazing, but also, again, looked very, very painful as well. Mm. Um, and yeah, back to the ring. Madness continues, and KO and Sammy seem to have it won until JD Madonna turns up and pulls Sammy Zayn away from getting the pinfall victory. And uh, KO decides to uh, help to, to, to kind of even the odds by completely pop up power bombing uh, JD against the table, which doesn't implode. Um, it looks very painful, but it also looks very good if he sold it very well. And uh, how 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 else do we turn this up to eleven? Why Rhea Ripley just turns up out of nowhere and spears Kevin Owens right through a barricade? <laughs> ah, Which, the elusive WWE ringside barricade. Yes, there is a great clip of the of the spear happening, and Michael Cole is just jumping up and down, hunched over the desk like he's having like he's having the best time of his life. It's amazing. <laughs> but again, it's like. Escalation, like the all members of Judgment Day and JD are all out trying to sort of overpower KO and Sammy. And again, Sammy seemingly has this one. He manages to avoid a coup de gras. Haluva kicks Finn Balor, goes to the pin. Dirty Dom turns up with the money in the bank briefcase, smacks him over the head. Balor goes over. One, two, three. Celebrations and pyro galore. Judgment Day are the new tag team champions. And it's, it is... I think, yeah, this and the cage match are probably the matches you go off and watch because it's just like, you hardly tell this is like a like a, a 15, 15 or 20 minute odd match. It just, it flies by and it's just, it just slowly goes up to 11. <laughs> the more it goes on, it's really good fun as well. Really good fun. And I think for Judgment Day, yeah, it's worth having them having the belts now because now they have lots of gold. It makes perfect sense. Like we talked about on the preview show. Yes. Yes, they are now officially the dominant faction in WWE, mostly because they have more belts than, say, probably Roman does at the moment. Who knows? And uh, <laughs> also as well, that that also concludes technically fully one of the biggest storylines in WWE, which was the whole Sami Zayn thing. And him yes, beating yes. Jane, like sort of the epilogue, if you will, from a tag team title point of view. So that, so that, that all now is completely finished, as it were. It, it's kind of, but not as I'm about to go on to. Oh, okay. Because the next segment is the Grayson Waller effect. You know, talk show. With Grayson Waller coming out, doing doing the typical, good day, I'm Grayson Waller. I'm going to talk to someone for five minutes before it all goes horribly wrong. It's Coney Rhodes. Everyone sings with Coney Rhodes. All the pyro goes off. Cody Rhodes basically he arrives he take he gets the microphone from Grayson Waller they have a little they have a little back and forth Grayson Waller says that they are not going to be able to ask the people what they want to talk about the evil heel that he is but then Cody then decides to kind of peel back the curtain explains what's going to happen it's basically it's like we have a chat you say something stupid I get annoyed I hit you I hit several crossroads everyone goes home happy which didn't actually happen because he decided to subvert expectations because he reveals that he has major news to share with everyone and he's used his political sway backstage <laughs> in WWE and cashed in a few chips to bring someone over from SmackDown or bring someone in to join the Raw roster. And that person is Jey Uso. I thought he quit. He did. But then Cody said, hey, come to Raw. There's no bloodline here. All right. So he did. <laughs> I, hmm. I, what's the way to phrase this? I have questions. Okay, go on. 
because technically Jay was in, was one of the reasons that Cody didn't win the belt at Mania. Yes, so he kind of kind of went. I I hope I know what I'm doing, but I've decided. To oh, bring so he actually in Jay. acknowledged that. Okay. Yes. Fair. Okay. Yeah. So it's right. kind of like he hasn't just gone. Oh, I'm just bringing Jay. He's just like, no, no, I'm going to write a wrong. I'm going to because I think I think because we had the promo before payback of John Cena saying the wrong who's so quit that sort of stuff. So maybe Cody takes it upon himself to kind of go, hey, I don't want I don't want Jay to quit. I want Jay on a brand where he's free of Roman and Jimmy. So here we go. He's here on there. Um, basically, uh, Jay kicks Grace Waller in the face a couple of times. There we go. Everyone's happy. Um, but then on Raw, so a couple of things on Raw. First thing, people on Raw are not happy to see Jay Uso, especially Drew McIntyre, case in point, ca- uh, Clash of the Castle. Also Matt Riddle, case in point, the tag team side of things. But Sami Zayn, able to kind of cap off a little thing of saying, hey, welcome to... Welcome to Raw. Thank, it's glad to see you've come out from the shadow of Roman Reigns. They have an oozy hug, which is nice. And then, yeah, so basically Jay is going to progress as a single start on Raw, which technically means we're definitely probably going to get Jay versus Jimmy at Mania next year. That's that's the way they're kind of going this at the moment. However, that's a long, that's a long time, though. It's a long time, but Adam Pearce did tell Jay, well, because you've come over to, to Raw, I've got to send someone from Raw to SmackDown, and it's got to be of equal or higher value. So it's Cody. Gee, yeah, gee, wonder who it could be. Cody! <laughs> Which I guess then also means because he's on the same brand as Roman, mm. he can then he can now sort of continue the story that he should have finished, but is now continuing to yes. finish. Yes, eventually. And the story will carry on again, even after it's finished. It will keep going on forever. Um, so basically, that was what the Grace and Moro effect was to, to serve up, was basically, Jey Uso's gone to Raw. There we go. Uh, next match after that, Rhea Ripley versus Raquel uh, Rodriguez, Women's Championship match. Again, it's this was like, a, it was a decent back and forth match. I don't really have many notes on this, because the result was never really in doubt, I guess. Because basically, once... Once all the Judgment Day are posing with the belts and Pyro's going off, I don't think Rhea's losing that belt tonight, mm. that night. Maybe they could have maybe they could have done Rhea versus Raquel, maybe early on the show. And then it makes sense that they have all the Pyro for having all the gold. But it's just kind of like it's a bit of a foregone conclusion. Um, it was fine. Again, it's like it was a it was a match. It was fine. I I just really don't have any really major notes on it because it's like it did what it expected. It was like it was a match that didn't really get into, I guess, full gear. I suppose. Oh, no, sorry, no, that's, that's an AEW pay per view. Okay, yeah. okay. It didn't get into high gear or the fast lane, which is the next WWE premium live event, by the way. Oh, gold is it? Yep. Vroom vroom. Oh. The fast lane to what? Fast lane to hell. Da, 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 the most, the most H tier level ACDC cover band I've heard in a while. Yes. Thank you. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was a match. Rhea, Rhea wins her rip, finally hitting a riptide. That's that's all I can really say about this match. And it's it's not. It, yeah, it's like I don't. I, I keep trying to find excuses to to even. There was nothing. Let me say. Is it fair to say nothing wrong with it? It was there. Cool. It was there. Result was never in doubt. End of. Moving on. I think the feud's continuing based on what's happening on Raw. Uh, Raquel really got got a win back by beating, I think, Chelsea Green yesterday on Raw. 
So everything's I, I, in. I mean, we, we could do a whole sidebar on the women's tag team division at the moment because those titles are cursed. Oh no, they're so cursed. Ha- have you not heard? Well, Piper Niven's currently Apparently unwell. is not medically cleared, but I don't know if that's just a storyline thing or not. Apparently she's unwell at the moment. She's just basically unwell. Right. She's not like seriously injured. It's just under the weather. Yeah. And she'll be she'll be back in a couple of weeks, which is fine. But either way, though, those titles are cursed. They are. They are. <laughs> so before the main event, uh, John Cena channels his Lance Catamaran from Southpaw Regional Wrestling to interview The Judgment Day. Sadly, he was not dressed up as Lance Catamaran, which was disappointing. But he did have a suit and a tie over his current attire, which didn't really work. Uh, and basically, that Judgment that's, Day... That's because not many people wear pastel-coloured suits. No. Why. No, but the judgment day, we're just saying, hey, we won. We're going to go out and party now. Whoa, just whoa. Uh, and then, yeah, we had our main event of Seth Rollins versus Shinsuke Nakamura, um, which was a really good match, was a good match. Again, it's one of these matches, I think, for a first outing in a main event slot is good. They probably can do a bit better. And it seems like we are going to continue down this route. Uh, Seth Rollins did did overcome the back issues to beat Nakamura. Um, but before before the match started, Nakamura had a really cool anime opening sequence before his Titantron hit to kind of highlight how he was going to defeat Seth before the match even began. <laughs> it, basically, it's like it was like it was like flicking through the pages of a manga. And basically it's like, ah, oh, Seth, Seth is so weak now. The the motto on his back is no longer his strength. All I have to do is give him a Kinshasa to the face and I've got the belt. All that sort of stuff. All done in Japanese as well. Oh, amazing. Cool. So Japanese with subtitles. And then you have the classic, da, 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 all, the, all the sort of things there. Um, but yeah, again, from a match perspective, decent storytelling, they completely went down there. Seth's got a bad back, don't you know? So Nakamura targets it a lot. Even Seth has to change his offense now and then to support his to support his strength in that sort of sense. So it's like he couldn't do the usual Falcon Arrow uh, suplex off the top rope. He had to kind of adjust it somewhat. Um, and then, yeah, after kind of like a just a stiff back and forth, Seth manages to hit one stomp to win. Um, but even though the show ended, uh, Seth got attacked post-match by Nakamura. It didn't actually happen on the live feed. It happened on like a digital exclusive thing. So likely another match is coming at some point, possibly at Fastlane. But this that, feud must continue. This feud must continue, but it's it's nice that they're not necessarily throwing Nakamura straight back to mid-card. They're actually going to try and continue mm. to try and make him a big deal. And I do like this version of Nakamura at the moment. It's just nice to see him be a heel. He's doing promos in his native Japanese. It's like he's he's just he looks like he's reveling in being a bastard. Mm. Which is nice to see. There we go. So th- <laughs> that was payback, I guess. Yes. Yes. Backs were paid and pays were backed. There you go. But also, well, let's call it like it is. There was other news that happened over the weekend, which if you want to hear us talking about CM Punk and whatnot, literally minutes after it occurred, or we did like... Follow links. (laughs) Exactly. We've got like a whole other video on that because we literally went live within minutes of that news breaking. So Yeah. And I think... I think until further notice, unless something major really hits on that story front, it's done and dusted. We've drawn the yeah. line. There's basically nothing else to say other than obviously collision that day 
mm. was going to always going to be a unique show. And just to kind of sort of touch on that briefly, it felt very different in a positive way. In the, mm. the show opened with a Ricky Starks promo where you could just tell he was basically fuming because, for, as far as he was concerned, you know the rug's been pulled out from under him again and whatnot. And mm. they did a great setup sequence where. He was challenging Ricky Steamboat, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, to a strap mm-hmm. match. And then Ricky Steamboat came out with a contract that said, Ricky Starks versus the Dragon. And then it's like, oh, you know, people have known me by various names. Ricky Steamboat, the Dragon, Ricky Steamboat, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. And it's like, now, obviously, I'm known as the Dragon, but so's this guy. And Brian freaking Danielson turns up unannounced. Mm. and basically accepts the match and at that moment you could just tell not only from the vibe of the audience but just that there was a feeling on the show of pardoning the way i'm gonna phrase this but okay basically new era we're moving on shit's on basically mm. and there was just that vibe throughout the rest of the weekend and sort of to fast forward now to all out itself yeah there was just a vibe on this show and all in at Wembley that we were at and that we've talked about on the previous podcast as well. Check out the archives. You want to hear our thoughts on that. It was, it's a spectacle that, that, that can't be topped for what it was. It mm. was a really fun show. It was incredible to be there. It's a history making night, obviously leaving aside the stuff that happened backstage. The event itself was genuinely historic, mm. but this show, if you wanted a show to say, right, we're going to pick up what we've got. We've got a bunch of great people. Let's go out there and have a flipping great show. Holy crappy. And this show was so damn good. I cannot emphasize how great this pay-per-view was. Uh, opening up with the, ta- the ROH tag title match of Better Than You, Bebe, against the Dark Orders, John Silver and Alex Reynolds mm-hmm. was such good fun. First of all, Adam Cole and MJF have now got another t-shirt that I really want because they had... A tag team, like a better new Bay Bay shirt, but because they were in Chicago at the United Center, which is where the Chicago Bulls play, which mm. is where obviously you, you think Chicago Bulls, more often than not, you think Michael Jordan. Mm. So they basically had on the back, like the number 23 in the Bulls colors, and then they had the player name of D Clothesline. <laughs> <laughs> so good. It's a little touch. Mm. But the match was really good fun because what they actually did was essentially a big injury angle in mm. that MJF sort of got taken out of the match. But you can take it two different ways in that... Excuse me. <clears throat> Sorry, folks. Pardon me. I've got a bit of, still got a wrecked throat at the moment, so excuse if that happens. But part of the story going in has been, although they're great friends, you're kind of waiting for what's the pin drop going to be. And mm. MJF has notably been saying quite a bit, you've made me wrestle so much more than I have done in my whole career. Mm. So you can take it to mean he either got injured, air quotes, so he didn't have to wrestle a lot of the match and then came back at the end to help his partner to make sure they still kept the belts, mm. or he was legitimately injured and then was a true fighting baby face to come back and help his partner. You don't know which way this is going, and it's so damn good. And it was a really fun and compelling match. And the fact you can now actually boo the dark order which no one ever thought you'd be able to do again after the passing of, of mr Brody lee and whatnot i really really enjoyed this match and better new baby retained i'm sort of i'm not glossing over for the sake of it because it was really good fun and the chicago crowd was so into the tag team as well mm. but um but arguably one of the more notable things occurred 
after the match because MJF is still selling the injury and whatnot. And they're gradually walking up the ramp, taking in the adulation of the fans. And then all of a sudden, Samoa Joe's music hits because he's defending the ROH TV title against Shane Taylor uh, for obviously the ROH TV title. And there was an amazing callback to a WWE NXT event, I believe it was. Yeah, Brooklyn. Yeah, where MJF, for those who don't know, was a uh, was an extra, as it were, that day. And he was one of the security guards accompanying Joe. And there's a very notable, if you basically, if you want to find it, just Google Samoa Joe MJF, you'll find it. But you can even Google, you can actually search for it on Twitter GIF Maker. You just search MJF Joe, it will come up. Joe just shoves MJF against the wall so he doesn't get in his way and whatnot. And Joe basically just shoves MJF again. And he carries on to the ring because he's like, I'm not waiting for my, I'm not waiting until you're backstage. I want my match now. And you see the look of fury in MJF's eyes. And there's this moment where Adam Cole is trying to say, look, just leave it. It's Joe. For God's sake, don't do this. And MJF goes running down and we have a pull apart brawl between MJF and Samoa Joe. Mm. And Every, I'm watching this thinking, I need to see this. What the hell is going to happen? So it looks like, in theory, that there, there's like a whole tournament that's going to happen to determine the challenger at Grand Slam and whatnot. Yeah. But it looks like at some point down the line, we're going to have MJF and Samoa Joe for the AEW title. And I'm fascinated by this concept. I think so the, badly want to see it. Think of the promos. Exactly right. Those promos have been on fire recently. MJF is also just like a pot of gold with everything he does. It's going to be so, so good. But as I mentioned, this led to MJF v. Shane Taylor, which was two big guys just kicking the piss out of each other, quite frankly. Ultimately, Joe getting the win by submission with the Kikina Clutch. I mean, it was a fine match. You know, it wasn't groundbreaking by any means, but Shane Taylor had a good outing, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. The one thing that is notable about this show, and it is something that has been discussed online in the build-up, that the build-up to All Out was quite weak, but obviously the show being as good as it was, you're just like, now, doesn't really matter now, does it? The show freaking delivered, and then a heck of a lot more. But you could argue that the integration of ROH on AEW programming, it's there, but it's not foolproof. Yeah, they haven't figured out a way to perhaps better do that. But this is perhaps where Collision may come in handy now, because the one notable difference of Collision the night before that I referenced was the amount, just just quite frankly, the the amount of people who were on there that you've never seen on there before. Mm. Like, the Bucks appeared, Britt Baker made her debut on Collision as well and stuff. Just, there were extra people on the show who you don't normally see. Yeah. But there might be a way to actually utilize Collision and Dynamite to to genuinely get more people on television now. And I think perhaps integrating some more of the ROH talent amongst that may be a way to do it. Yeah, I think the ROH side of things has been better in terms of integrating it into AEW recently. It doesn't feel like it's been just forced in for for shits and giggles, per se. It's not like Jericho being the champion and suddenly the ROH title is the most important thing for two and a half months. Yeah, yeah, indeed. So it's like, yeah, you got your ROH tag titles, but it's like, wasn't necessarily a big story. Obviously, it was a story beat for MJF and Adam Cole, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like suddenly, oh, it's going to be on, it's going to be on the same tier now as the AEW championship. No, no, it's like, this is a, this is a belt from a slightly, I wouldn't say it's, it is a secondary for AEW's kind of brand, I suppose, but it's kind of like, okay. We're giving you a bit of a spotlight. There's still on a club for you to go and watch. If you want to get a bit more into Ring of Honor, 
but at least we're acknowledging and we're bringing the belts in accordingly where we can rather than having to forcefully put it on the show every so often just to remind people that we own ROH as well exactly yeah this then leads us to the TNT championship match which was Luchasaurus with Christian Cage defending against Darby Allen who was being accompanied by Nick Wayne Mm -hmm. now on collision the night before Nick Wayne was in action and there was a little bit of stuff that happened here because Nick Wayne did a promo after being beaten where he excuse me Pardon me. Nick Wayne did a promo where he referenced the fact that Darby forgave forgave AR Fox very flipping quickly, to be quite frank, after he was like assaulted in his own house in, the, in quite an, an amazing backstage segment on Dynamite a few weeks back. Mm. And this led to Darby coming out going, look, look, I'm going to stop this. I'm going to explain. And he basically went on to say, I was trained by your father, Buddy Wayne, and ultimately, we had a falling out and I went elsewhere and we didn't talk for three years. And the next time I came back to Seattle to your house was when Buddy Wayne had passed away. And he's got that regret of not being able to kind of just settle that and get things back on an even playing field and, you know, clear the air and such. Mm-hmm. So now he basically lives by a motto in his life and whatnot of just got to clear the air, like don't want to have any of this hanging over like the clouds hanging over. So that's why he forgave Fox so quickly. And that seemingly smoothed things over, but you kind of imagine that's going to come back to play at some point. Yeah. But that point aside, another thing that's been doing the rounds this week is Darby apparently in an interview basically said that the match at Wembley, he's really not feeling great after it. I wonder why Ian, is it because he did a coffin drop from the top rope down to the floor onto a coffin? He coughed the coffin drop. Literally, and seemingly that's really messed him up. Not helped by the fact that Luchasaurus beat the ever-loving piss out of him in this match. Mm-hmm. So much so, one of the most brutal things you will see is Darby being thrown into the, the, the fence around the ringside, yeah. and then just being slammed on the floor, then the ring steps, which were tipped up onto their side, being tipped back on top of Darby. Oh dear. <laughs> And then Luchasaurus then proceeding to walk on top of the stairs, which were on top of Derby. Yeah, that's not gonna that's that's not gonna help things in the health and safety department. Yeah, exactly. So this Derby got some great moments in here, but quite frankly, this was just Luchasaurus being super dominant. Derby tried to get some offense going, but ultimately was defeated by Luchasaurus. And they did a big moment as well where the night before on Collision, it was set up that Christian Cage had told Nick Wayne, hey, have a towel with you because you're going to need to throw in a towel for Derby. He ain't going to survive this, quite frankly. It did a bit of a tease of that, but to no avail. And ultimately, as I say, Luchasaurus was able to defeat Darby Allen and retain, I'll say there, as in Christian and Luchasaurus's TNT championship. And there was a little bit of a, of a thing after Christian was going to try and Christian Luchasaurus was going to try and do a bit more of a beating, but a few other people came down to sort of help clear the air and such and kind of get them away from them. So still your TNT champion Luchasaurus, but this was great, but holy crap, mate. If you want to see someone, a, a theme on this show, which we'll get onto gradually is violence. If you want to see some violence in that sense, like a giant just demolishing a, a, a much smaller guy, that was your match for the evening on that front. Believe me. The next match, however, Miro and Powerhouse Hobbs. 
Ah, this is the the meat the meat hitting meat match, yes. which I've seen all over Twitter, and for good reason. Yeah. So the, <laughs> the big theme of this match is either way, I was looking forward to it going in. Excuse me. <clears throat> there were going to be two giant slabs of meat in Miro and Hobbs, no doubt going to be beating the piss out of each other. And basically, the Chicago crowd decided they wanted this a lot sooner than they were going to get it. <laughs> and so a chant started of slap that meat, slap that meat, slap that meat. And you could tell there is a moment where both wrestlers are in the ring, kind of trying to process what's going on, <laughs> as are a lot of other people. But the Chicago crowd is like, want to see you guys slap that meat? Literally, come on, fellas, do your thing. And you kind of get the impression that there may have been a big grand plan for how they wanted to do the match. And they were going to get to like the slapping of the slapping meat and such later in the match, but it was kind of fast tracked by a lot and then continued throughout. We were getting other chants as well throughout the match. If I remember correctly, there was, this is meaty being chanted. <laughs> there was also holy meat as well being chanted as well as meat forever. <laughs> so. <laughs> You, this, you, you know, you know, you know. Somewhere, Biggie's probably see this match, and he's—it's that thing from his from that podcast where he says, "I don't want to be big, big, meaty men smacking me." Literally, literally, he was pretty salivating at the prospect as well. His quite his, his dream was his dream was achieved. <laughs> so this match, I don't want to say it over delivered, but the atmosphere it was contained in made it such a uniquely memorable experience and elevated this again i don't mean in a bad way but this just elevates it to another level because you could tell they were they, they in the ring themselves were like yeah let's freaking do this and we were getting power shots after power shots it was just such great fun it comes to a point where miro is putting on um his submission finisher which i think is the game over he calls it i used to be the mm -hmm. accolade yes. he's got that and hobbs is able to get out of it and it looks like that he's going to try and apply it on Miro, but for what a better phrase, isn't exactly full well knowing how it's applied and whatnot. So isn't able to get it on well, leading to Miro able to then reverse out of it and applies it himself, forcing Hobbs to tap. And the battle of the meat was concluded with a Miro win. But that wasn't where things concluded, because suddenly some, some music we've not heard before hits. And in the background of the camera shot, we can see on the screen the words hot and flexible. And you're kind of thinking, the heck is this going? And out walks the former Lana, a.k.a. CJ Perry, a.k.a. Miro's wife in real life. The wife who has been referenced for two years in Miro promos on television, who we've never seen. And based on recent promos, he's now like denounced his wife and whatnot. Oh no. <laughs> she comes into the ring after Powerhouse Hobbs tries to basically attack Miro and whatnot, which in itself you're like, this may not be a fair fight. And it sort of gets evened out and there is a stare down between the two, that being Miro and CJ Perry who I will call that for the purposes of this because we don't know her AEW name yet as it were. It probably will be CJ Perry I, mean, I, say, I, yeah. I don't think they'll, I mean they're referenced to a CJ Perry so it's probably going to be CJ Perry. Yeah. To some degree. And there was a stare down Miro looks at her and just walks out. And suddenly the happy smile of CJ Perry turns sad. That frown, that the smile turned into a frown, if you will. Does, and it, I mean, the question has to ask, does he still remember the booking from WWE with Bobby well, Lashley? 
Is well, this where we is this what we're carrying on? So the interesting part of this is that as Miro was on the ramp, because I had my headphones turned up fairly loudly to try and hear what he was saying, he started shouting, "You're not real." <laughs> <laughs> is, is CJ Perry going to be a figment of Miro's imagination? <laughs> Literally, so it's like, where the hell is this going to go? Is he, so it's like, you're not my hot and flexible wife, but there are other hot and flexible women. No, that sounded wrong already. I apologize, but it's just like, no, 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 I, I get what you mean. No, I get what you mean. Is but... this where it's going? Is this where he's going to just either just have figments of his imagination or trying to actually figure out in his head what? the words hot and flexible mean hmm. I, I, I don't know i fully expect we're gonna have a montage of all the times miro referenced his wife in a promo someone needs to make a super cut of that hey aew on their youtube channel recently have been putting up like super cuts if you will of various things they put hmm. up a 40 minute compilation of christian's worst burns as it were like verbal hmm. assaults and whatnot so it's like just go on the aew youtube anyway. there's some great stuff on they, there they did the full like uh, MGF Adam Cole thing up to All In, which was really good. And I was like, that's yeah. nearly like a two, two and a half hour thing. Yeah, <laughs> literally. So if you want mm. to catch up on the whole thing, it's all there in one video, basically. Mm. This leads us on to the TBS Championship match with Chris Statlander retaining against Ruby Soho. Now, kind of the, the, the biggest story going into this match was the fact that the outcasts are on a bit of rocky ground. Soraya, mm. the week prior, won the women's title at All In at Wembley. And this match between Ruby Soho and, and Chris Statlander was already in the works. But Tony Storm is kind of the big, confusing outlier, if you will, in all of this. In that she's not there at ringside with them. It's just Soraya accompanying Ruby. Of which I will say, Soraya took great umbrage with a sign in the crowd that she proceeded to rip up, which simply said on it... <coughs> which simply said on it, Soraya calls calls fries chips i mean and she took great umbrage with that as did i so i mean i mean they are chips but all right exactly so i, I enjoyed this match but following the miro match it was always going to be a tough task and i don't think anyone could have predicted that level of just that level of excitement for that match as it were so there was a lot to follow and such but mm. the big moment in the match came when Ruby Soho was eventually going to go for the, for the spray can of paint, which has been a staple in the outcast shenanigans. Then all of a sudden, Tony Storm appears from under the ring, the wrong side of the ring, mind you. She has to run around, and then she proceeds to then take the, the spray paint can and just starts randomly spraying it in the air, which As then allows do. Chris Statlander to then basically get the win after hitting a move. So it seems... Tony Storm's character of kind of being an old school Hollywood actress. She may also be going a little bit loopy in that department. Is she going like Sunset Boulevard? On that's us? what I'm wondering. Mm. So I'm for it. probably going to see it. where that's going to go. But in a way, if this is the beginning of the end for the Outcasts, it's a shame because I really like them as a trio. Mm. But I also love this character that Tony Storm has developed, where she just has a promo where she's ranting and then she just throws a shoe from off camera at the interviewer. Who throws a shoe at Renee? Who does? <laughs> Who does? So this leads us on to, let's just call it like this. This is like, this is a big moment for Ricky Starks. Like he was clearly meant to have a match with Punk that was never, that's now never going to happen most likely. 
It was going to be a big coming out party for him, if you will, like a big opportunity. And then the day before, it's obviously revealed now we're going to see him v. Brian Danielson. His first match back since Forbidden Door when he broke his arm in the match with Kazuchika Okada. And obviously, by all reports, he was going to be coming back maybe around mid to late September time. But apparently, mm. was all cleared by AEW's medical. But still, broken arm. You want to take it a little bit easy and maybe not have your first match back be a no disqualification strap match. Now, Ian, this match, I don't often swear like this, but I'm going to. So if you need to add in a bleep button in the edit, so be it. This match was fucking incredible. This is one of the most violent things I have ever seen. And I have seen a lot of John Moxley bleeding sessions in AEW. <laughs> this was barbaric at point. This was borderline assault at some points. You have never seen a man just basically get hit by a strap, this being Ricky Starks, so much that literally the majority of his body is turning red from the welts. He was getting hit so hard and he began the match in quite a big way as well just by taking the strap and because he was like delaying tactics of having the strap put on his wrist he grabbed it grabbed like the little hook thing that you'd normally use to hook it and just jabbed danielson in the face with it so danielson's doing a moxie and is bleeding from like a minute in mm. and it's really hard to articulate how good and how good this match was it was so damn good ricky starks came across incredible in this I imagine this is going to do wonders for him, and I really hope it does. Danielson obviously was incredible in this as well, but just the emotion, the shock, the horror of what you're watching in this match. The reason I'm sort of glossing over it is because I can't actually recall a lot of what occurred because that's how invested I was in it. Mm. But what I will recall for you is how it ended. Because we're getting to the point where Danielson's applying the label lock, and the last time we saw him do this was when he had his arm broken versus Kazuchika Okada at Forbidden Door, where he mm. literally couldn't apply it because he couldn't grip with one of his hands. And so he ended up like gripping his foot and whatnot and doing a modified version, still making Okada tap. He applies it on this, and Ricky Starks, you can tell from his eyes, is in serious pain. He is not tapping. He's in agony, but doesn't want to tap badly because the only way to win was by pinfall submission. And then Danielson decides, oh, you know what? I've got to change this up a little bit. So he grabs grabs the strap, wraps it around the neck of Ricky Starks a couple of oh, times, <laughs> and wrenches back. I'm I, literally, I'm convinced I heard a sound of a human perishing with the sound that happened. He wrenches back. There is a literal look of life flashing before the eyes in Ricky Starks. He passes out. Thus, Danielson wins the match. This match genuinely is utterly incredible. Go out of your way to watch this if you're going to watch anything from the show. It is utterly batshit what you see in this match. And there is actually a picture doing the rounds of Ricky Starks being in the gym like the following day. And you can just see the welts on his back. He also at one point got hit in the face with the strap. Ow. <laughs> so it's just like, the heck? But either way, this could potentially do wonders. And it should do wonders for Ricky Starks. I really, I personally would be all up for this being a feud continuing thing. Like mm -hmm. Ricky Starks can perhaps come out and claim, you know, I had 24 hours notice. I didn't know I was going to face him of all people. Mm. And he's, he's also now aligned with Big Bill. 
who also got involved in the match. And on the promo thing the night before, when he was kind of in his very emotional state, he put over Big Bill like a million freaking bucks. So hopefully they're going to be a duo now because I think that can work really well. Really, really well. I mean, he could, ooh. Because what was it? Big Bill's last feud in WWE before he was fired or let go was against... Brian Danielson. Was it really? I'd not put two and two together yeah. on that. Yeah, they had a they had a they had a little feud going on where basically Big Bill, when he was Big Cass, was basically saying, I'm big, you're little, let's fight. To that sort of degree. Oh, I do remember that because they had a thing in the yeah. greatest Royal Rumble, didn't they, as well? Yeah, they had that. And mm. then I think they had like a match, maybe I think maybe at payback or something like that. Yeah, now a, you're now you're saying that's bringing then a few bells one match, in my brain. And then after that match, by the next SmackDown, he was gone. Hmm. But I think that again, that was more for backstage stuff than actually not being a uh, yeah, not, not not because obviously he's the ideal size and shape of a Vince McMahon mm-hmm. wrestler. So I think if if issues backstage, I think at the time with Carmella and that, who was I think his girlfriend at the time, mm. didn't happen. He might have been there a bit longer, but it's going to be yeah. fascinating to see how that works. Yeah, and it kind of feels like as well that they're needing to fill a void left by Punk when it comes to who is the primary star of Collision. Yeah. And Jay White has notably been now sort of put front and centre of all the advertising Mm -hmm. in the interim, excuse me. Uh, That's just me clearing my throat, apologies. And one would assume Danielson might be the perfect person to fill that void because he even said in the the post-show media scrum that when it comes to scheduling... A lot of it may sort of depend how much longer he does wrestling on how much time he could spend with his family. Mm -hmm. Because in theory, going away at the weekend might be more conducive to his family life schedule than being away midweek. Yeah. So one might assume that Collision may be a good place for him to be for a while, as it were. Mm -hmm. And we shall see how that works. Next up, it was Eddie Kingston and Katsuyori Shibata against Claudio Casanoli and Wheeler Yuta having to follow that match just now. Like, what the hell? This was really good fun. The finish was really, really weird. Because earlier in the match, we had had a big uppercut exchange between Claudio and Shibata, which was mm-hmm. freaking great. Like, I love Shibata so much. And uh, Wheeler Yuta was surviving many uppercuts as well, as he is one to do. But the match ended with a European uppercut by Claudio and him just rapidly pinning Eddie Kingston. To which... Okay. Everyone was shocked, and even Nigel McGuinness on commentary went, I don't think I've ever seen anyone lose to a European uppercut. It's coming back in a big way. (laughs) Yeah, and it was kind of that moment of, it looked like, the way it could come across is that Eddie Kingston maybe kicked out late. Mm. Like, maybe something went awry, but I don't know, I'm sure it'll probably get explained. One might just assume it was a really good shot by Claudio and it just caught Eddie on the chin, maybe. Mm. You could perhaps say that as it was happening. Yeah, but this was this was really really good fun though. Again, Shibata is amazing. It's a really fun tag match, but again, in some ways, kind of the the way things worked out, as great as this match was, it had to follow that strap match. I have seen the I have seen the clip of Yuta getting the backhand from Shibata, <laughs> yeah, and him just crumpling. And Nigel McGuinness says, "I don't want to wrestle again." It's like, <laughs> it's, it's like my word, that was a stiff shot. It was so good, though. So good. I've yeah. never seen. I've never seen life leave a man's body from a backhand. <laughs> but yeah, I appreciate. I'm sort of glossing over the match. It's mm. only because I really enjoyed it. But it's just, again, I was sort of just in the moment, as it were. And these are sort mm. of the moments that I'm remembering. But it was really, really good fun. Mm. 
This then leads us on to one of the big featured matches of the evening. Kenny Omega against Kanosuke Takeshita. Mm-hmm. Another match, which quite frankly, Ian, was freaking great. And this continues what I think ended up being... A f- Let me count the matches, actually. Let me just quickly go back. This was... So it was Danielson-Starks, the tag match I just mentioned, this match, then the eight-man, then the main event, a literal five-match streak of matches which you cannot beat on another pay-per-view. Like, this five-match streak was in freaking insane, quite frankly, as to how good it was. Mm. The first th- one of the first things that happened early going was that Omega basically got dropped on his head on the suplex. Ow. Which looks like it wasn't meant to happen in the sense that maybe he sort of wasn't able to rotate far enough. But the way he landed, there was just that moment of, oh, God. <laughs> I did I just watch a man perish before my eyes, sort of thing. But the big story of the match going into this and throughout the match was that Don Callis knows Omega so well. He knows all of his weaknesses and such. And Takeshita had his number, ultimately getting the win with a V-trigger with the knee pad pulled down. But another big story of the match, though, and again, sort of glossing over, not intentionally, just because you need to sort of see it to fully appreciate it. Mm. But a big thing now is that since Don Callis has turned on Omega, he's not won a singles match. so that's another big story going into this and uh, Don Callis eventually was getting involved because Omega who was wearing some tights with the colouring of his gear from DDT so it really felt like we were hearkening back to an old Japanese Kenny Omega if you will and such paying homage Mm -hmm. and such and there was a moment when Omega was getting his fire as it were he was getting a comeback he was starting to hit everything everything was working for him and then Don Callis needs to get involved and Kenny ends up being knocked down by the ring ropes and then Callus is able to grab the screwdriver. And he grabs that screwdriver and he goes to just spike it into Kenny Omega, who moves. But then what you then see left in the ring, on the ring apron, was this fluorescent handled screwdriver just sticking up in the ring canvas. It's and like, then legit, oh no. <laughs> just that moment for Omega of, the heck? It's like, <laughs> Quite frankly. Dude, seriously, Why? literally but there were it, it this was this was so good once again admitting at this point i was starting to feel a bit tired because i not to say i didn't expect this show to be fun but i didn't expect to have been as captivated as i was by this show mm-hmm. so i was starting to flag a little bit admittedly but this match was so good and Takeshita is being built up in a big way so i'm looking forward to see where they go next and the genuine shock as well now Takeshita has been able to pin Omega on not only this show, but also last week at All in London. Like, two mm-hmm. massive wins for Takeshita. So, so good. Mm-hmm. At this point, there was a DraftKings promo where they're talking about, oh, you know, the, the usual stuff. Oh, you know, you can you can predict what's going to happen in the main event and all that stuff. And there's me thinking at that point, right, main event time. I'm well up for this. I'm starting to flag a little bit, so I'm game for this. Then the Bullet Club come out. And I think, oh crap, there's another match. It's it's <laughs> like it all in when you think, ah, oh, it's it's main event. Oh wait, wait, what? We've got the trios. All right, <laughs> exactly. But um, but yeah. So we get Bullet Club Gold, the FTR, and the Young Bucks. And despite my, what I just said, of I'm like, oh crap, another match. This again was so good. And this was following on from the main event the night before, which was F which is FTR's Dax against Jay White, Jay White picking up the whim. This was following on from that. And the big story of the match was going to be, how are the crowd going to react? 
And quite frankly, it was a little bit of, you know, people weren't happy to see the Bucks. But earlier in the pre-show during the Battle Royal, Hangman Page got like the biggest babyface reaction. So it kind of made you think, okay. It, it's mostly because I don't think, obviously apart from the promo side of things and the whole CM Punk side of things, I don't think Page has actually gone out of his way to do anything else since. Yeah, all exactly. Exactly. And so the Bucks got a little bit of a mixed reaction, but when all was said and done, given the statement that was put out by AEW and also the videos that have done the rounds online of Tony Khan coming out to the crowd before Collision actually began mm. on the Saturday night, while some people have just taken Tony's statement and gone, it's a bit OTT, saying you felt like your life was put on the line and whatnot, or was in jeopardy and such, whatever the phrase was, hmm. I think by the end of it, while people started booing Tony Khan about the, the decision to fire Punk, everyone came around and actually kind of understood from his point of view, this was crushing to have to do. Yeah. And so I think at that moment, it, it turned the entire perception of it on its head. And the Young Bucks, there were still people who didn't like them, but that crowd were well into them. Especially when we got the hot tag with Nick Jackson coming and him just running around and doing everything he does like a million bucks, mm -hmm. leading to members of FTR and the Young Bucks sort of trading partners for a few moments to do each other's finishers. So I think it was maybe Daxon and Nick Jackson doing doing um, the Shatter Machine, for example. And then it was uh, maybe the other way around. But either way, there were different permutations of people doing finishers mm -hmm. and just lots of stuff happening left and right, left and right, everyone trying to get the win and such. But ultimately, it comes down to one of the guns. I believe Colton specifically picking up the win on Cash Wheeler after a little bit of miscommunication and one of the Bucks not being able to get in the ring in time. Effectively mm. stealing the pin and pinning the AEW tag champs. Which, of course, then asks sorry, then asks the question of, well, what's next? One assumes we might get the guns in FTR again, mm. but also it could just mean two different permutations of Bullet Club challenging for the belts. Mm. Maybe a four-way if you have the Bucks involved as well. This, again, a really, really great fun match. I appreciate once again I'm sort of glossing over not for the sake of it just because I was just so in the moment and that's very like I think I mentioned it to you after I think it was a revolution pay-per-view and I talked about this on a few other podcasts as well that we've done mm. that after the way I was feeling going into the MJF v Brian Danielson match with the, that Iron Man match with the perception of alright I know it's going to be 60 minutes I've got to survive it as it were rather mm. than being I want to see what they're going to do I want to be in the moment and just take it in that's the mentality I'm going with now. And I may not necessarily remember all the spots and stuff unless I'm taking notes, but that's just how much I'm invested in it. And mm. it was such good fun. Such good fun. <coughs> Excuse me. Then this leads us on to the main event match, which I think for an AEW pay-per-view is the first time the world title has not main evented a pay-per-view. I think Sands Stadium Stampede, as it were, but yeah, because I think there's one. I think one of the double or nothings. It's Stadium Stampede that finished it, rather than the yeah. World Championship. Yeah, so Sands maybe like a Stadium Stampede here and there. It's one of the, the very few times mm. it's not been the World Title, and it's really cool just to see, in essence, one of the secondary belts be defended in this way. And I think it's worked out. This was Orange Cassidy's thirty-first title defense mm. of the belt over the course of eleven months. It has been fascinating watching this title reign. And 
John Moxley being the opponent, we both said in the prediction show, this may be the time. And all signs led to Moxley, and ultimately, Moxley did get the win. But this was a bloody brawl, mate. Ironically, not really from Moxley, from, from Orange Cassidy, more than anything. Mm. And this was, again, just super, super violent. It began with Orange Cassidy to John Moxley, which, you know, not the smartest move in the world. Trying to do the hands in the pockets thing of like, ooh, mm. puts hands in the pockets. Moxley just decks him in the face. Yeah, you, you don't do that to Moxley. Moxley. Moxley ain't got time for that shit. <laughs> exactly. And this was just, it was really, really just a difficult battle for Orange. His body is broken and Moxley's just like, I don't care. I'm going to have fun sort of thing. And it gets really, really violent in places. It ultimately comes down to Orange having a bit of a comeback, as it were. But then suddenly Moxley gets the upper hand and he's able to hit the, the, the paradigm shift, the death rider, whatever you want to call it. And Orange Cassidy kicks out. And there's a moment when you're just thinking, how the hell is this going to end? What is about to happen? And then you see John Moxley in the corner. And on his chest, you see him do the, the, the thing of the sign of the cross. <laughs> and you just suddenly think, oh God, what is he going to do? And Orange Cassidy stands up to him. Moxley grabs him. And he basically just lifts him in the air and does like a vertical drop Death Rider on him. And then you see him cover him. And you're just thinking, this, is this going to be it? And you see the ref hit one, two, three. And that's it. After 31 title defenses, Orange Cassidy has succumbed to the brutal violence of John Moxley, but also the wear and tear on his body. Mm. And there were just so many moments in this match where part of you thought, I really want Cassidy to win. Like, so, so much. Him main eventing an AEW pay-per-view in itself has probably sent half the wrestling world spare, which I'm really happy about. Mm. But just the spectacle of this and what it means as well, especially given everything that had been going on during the past week, everything that had led up to that weekend, the vibe at Collision being so positive and everyone being up for this pay-per-view, the pay-per-view itself, everything just being so damn good, the crowd being up for it, the way I'm saying it, just being hyped, thinking about it. Everything on this show was either really good fun or freaking excellent. And we got to this moment and this was the history-making, defining moment, arguably, for this week in AEW. This was the moment when they almost said, we've moved on from the era that we've kind of been around and that cloud hanging over. We've had this show. This is how we end it. This is the statement we leave with. And now, after that amazing, amazing title run, Orange Cassidy, the broken and bloody mess that he was, is no longer champion. And the rest of the Blackpool Combat Club come out, including Danielson with his head wrapped in one because, you know, he bled a lot. You know, mm. uh, Blackpool Combat Club would expect. They come out and are basically having to carry John Moxley to the back. He can't really get up the ramp on his own power. So much so he's even telling Weeta, uh, Weeta, uh, Wheeler Uta, excuse me. I did another Freudian name slip there. He's telling Uta, just hold this title belt. Like, just carry it for me. It's too heavy sort of thing. And he's being helped up there by Claudio. And it just emphasizes so much that is how close Cassidy was to winning it. And Moxley even said in promos before it, look, the guy's held the belt for ages. He's had 30 title defenses. He's not just some cosplay wrestler. He's really freaking good. And all of it built up to this moment. 
And then as the Blackpool Combat Club have left the arena, and you know the show is going to end in a few moments, there's just Cassidy's seemingly lifeless body just left in the ring. And then the standing ovation begins for Cassidy, and just like the big adulation and whatnot. And that is how the show goes off the air. And seemingly afterwards, the rest of the best friends come out to sort of, I'll say, commiserate with him or celebrate what he had achieved and accomplished. Because it was phenomenal. And it capped off, Ian, what genuinely was probably one of the best AEW pay-per-views, which going in, even I had my doubts as to how good the show would be. I had confidence I was going to have fun. But going in, I didn't think it was going to be this caliber of show, especially the week after All In. Mm. Two completely almost polar opposite parallel shows for widely different reasons in a positive way. And it's incredible that this show was as good as it was. And it's a testament to all the talent in AEW that they were able to do this. And a testament, quite frankly, just to AEW that this was as great as it was. This pay-per-view was excellent as well. I implore everyone to at least check out some of the featured matches that I mentioned. It was so damn good. Nice. Good to hear. I think it's nice to have a positive after a very turbulent couple of days for AEW. Mm. Exactly. I'm all all hyped up now (laughs) after talking about that again. And uh, in terms of what is next, there hasn't been a lot announced, as it were. I think MGF's going to do a promo on Dynamite, which is going to cover, one would assume, Samoa Joe. The big things at the moment that they have announced is there is going to be a tournament to determine the number one contender to face the champion at Grand Slam. But that being at the Arthur Ashe Stadium in New York, which you will recall last year is when the belt had been vacated. So it was to crown a new champion at that point. Oh, yeah. We're coming up to that again, aren't we? Exactly. We're at that time of year again, literally. So that's kind of going to be one of the bigger things. Want to see with Samoa Joe maybe in the mix. Roderick Strong's already thrown his name into the hat, but we don't know exactly what else is going to be happening on the AEW front as of now. But either way, I'll leave it on this note before we sort of wrap up the show. We've talked about before how after after all out a couple, I think it was a couple of years ago at this point when both Adam Cole and Danielson debuted. And there was just that feeling in the air of, oh my God, AEW is on freaking fire. What is next? You know, we had that hyped feeling. Mm. And going into this weekend, after what should have been easily one of the most great feeling weeks for any AEW fan, let alone the talent and staff. And there was just that cloud hanging over once again. But to come to basically come out of it and just get that cloud out of the way now and to deliver this kind of weekend of shows and leave you feeling this happy about it. Hmm. I'm so happy. I'm so, so happy. And I can't express enough how happy I am for everyone in AEW, let alone myself, as an AEW wrestling fan. Awesome. So yeah, so uh, on that note, I don't really have to do a segue from there. So uh, I guess I'll just ask you, Ian, any other random thoughts or questions relating to All In specifically? All In, sorry, All Out, sorry, that you may or may not have uh, you'd like me to touch on? Uh, no, I think we're all, we're all good with the All Out. Uh, debrief sounds like a very good show. I will try and check out some of those matches as recommended. But no, it, it, seemed, it seemed like a big positive success, which is, like I said a really good thing considering the last couple of days. Exactly. So on that note, folks, when it comes to forthcoming programming and such, Ian, I know you've got a kind of a, a little plan you want to you want to try out. So why don't you tell folks what, you, what you're sort of tentatively planning for upcoming so, content? So we will be doing, I'm going to be doing a, a little play around with Stadium Stampede on AW Fight Forever. So I'll be recording, 
I'll be doing a little recording of that at some point towards maybe next week or so. So we won't probably have we won't have like a normal episode next week. We'll probably just have uh, me playing uh, Steam Stampede. So that will be YouTube only. So we won't have it on uh, audio channels. Um, we will start to look at possibly doing other strands of content. I know we we have talked uh, in previous times about doing things like movies and TVs and stuff like that. I know I think we've wanted to talk about the One Piece Netflix adaptation. Mm-hmm. I've been quite keen on doing some very short, short, punchy reviews on films that have come out in the cinema, all that sort of stuff. So hopefully in the next couple of weeks, maybe in the next month or so, we're going to start the Bunkermania movies uh, strand as well as the Bunkermania At the moment, the working title is TV and streaming or streaming and TV. It's kind of like... Because in theory, it is TV, but it's not really TV. And I don't really want to call it Bunkermania streaming because it just sounds like, oh, we're just streaming. Yeah. Which we're not. So it's like trying to find a, trying to find a good name for that. But yeah, Bunkermania movies makes perfect sense. Whereas trying to find that sort of right sort of conglomerate name for, for the TV streaming world. Because you can still watch some stuff on TV. But most of my stuff's either been on YouTube or on a, stri- or on a streaming platform. So it kind of just, yeah. These these are the these are the challenges I have to deal with in the admin side of things. <laughs> it may, it, it's a difficult thing to grasp sometimes. Just mm. finding that that right permutation as to how it encompasses everything you want to do. Yes, indeedy. So yeah, now of course we say there may not be a podcast for perhaps the next week or so, but you could expect a video from Ian. Knowing our flipping luck, something's going to happen, which is going to basically mandate there be a podcast. That said. Depending how things go with AW Dynamite and Collision, I might end up just kind of recording something, as it were, just to kind of get some more thoughts down yeah. in the ether, as it were. So don't be surprised if there is a sort of a bonus unplanned podcast, if you will, on that front. Mm-hmm. And of course, if you have enjoyed the show, folks, make sure you hit the subscribe button on your platform of choice accordingly. If you want to reach out to us, you can find the Bunker Mania Twitter account under the name Bunker Mania UK. And good sir, if people want to reach out to us via the world of email, what's the best way to do that? You can super kick an email over to, to contact at bunkermania.com. There we go, folks. With that being said, from myself, Jeremy Grace, from him, the decadent, Mr. Ian Bolton, we've been Bunkermania Wrestling. Until next time, take care. Speak to you soon. <laughs>